So how's it going, Keith? Pretty good, John. What's up? It's been a crazy day. All right. Full of delays and fuel cans and calls from owners and bosses and... Yeah, it's basically my bedtime, too, so you get to I'm cut sorry, to the chase I'm on sorry. this one, or no, what? No, that was it. That was it. It's just oh. been a very hectic afternoon trying to do this. And oh, okay. I, I think I'm done. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're John, you're not a religious man. or I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not a religious man. You're kind of a religious man, so <laughs> I know you, you kind of believe in the whole afterlife thing and everything. Mm-hmm. And I had somebody ask me, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago at work, they're like, hey, mm-hmm. do you believe in heaven? Okay. And you know the answer I gave him? Hmm. And, and this is made this is this answer was totally made in heaven for today. And this is this is I'm not making this up. This is a legitimate okay. thing. I told him I says as long as there's cars and they serve good booze and barbecue. <laughs> I like it. Now tell me that was not meant to be for what we're going to do today. I would say yes. <laughs> yeah, I I when I so Anyways, we're gonna bring on a special guest. Uh, we Ooh, need we sounds need good. we need to talk to him. Uh, you ready? I think so. Let's do oh, this. Hang on, I'm calming down. It's time to hit the trail. Lock in those hubs and throw it into low range. Because you are listening to Wheel It with Keith and Johnny Orange. Broadcasting from the Thin Line Off-Road Studio. They're here to talk about 4x4s, trucks, and everything to do with enjoying the great outdoors. Buckle up. Here's your hosts, Keith and Johnny Orange. All right, so I said we're bringing on a special guest. We're going to bring him on for the entire show here. Uh, listening right now and live on the ma- mic is uh, Mr. Andy Imhoff. Uh, he lives I pre- on a mic? No, he's not live on the mic. You said live on the mic. He lives in Oregon. That's a big mic. Oregon. And wow. He, and he is <laughs> the world famous podcast host of Boost, Booze, and Barbecue. I like it. <laughs> uh, I have listened to a bit of their show now. Uh, he contacted me the other day and we got talking, just kind of just chatting back and forth like a couple of friends do. And we said, man, we need to go on each other's shows. We need to talk mm. about some cars and some food and some booze, and we I just got need a first to kind of question planned already. And so, so. anyways, uh, well, let, let, let's let him introduce yeah, we'll, himself we'll let him here. Talk. Yeah. So uh, you're live with us. Go ahead and uh, speak, sir. <laughs> go ahead and speak. Just you're on the spot. Just speak. speak. How are you doing, Andy? <laughs> I'm doing Sorry. great. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, it sounds like it's been a hectic day there, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me at least. For both of yeah. us, but uh, um, so we're like three hours different. So you, are you at the end of your work day yeah. or how does that work for you right now? Well, so I work from home. So, uh, you know, every day is my work day. Unfortunately, I'm mm. fielding emails all day long and people are like, we need this and we need that. And whoops, this thing screwed up. And where's my <laughs> something? And so, you know, it's just a, it's a constant thing for me. And the part that I love about working from home is my wife thinks I do nothing all day long. <laughs> so she'll get home and she'll be like, uh, laundry, dinner, dishes, where's like hop to chop, chop. Why aren't you in your maid outfit? <laughs> That's a disturbing image. Oh yeah. Her, like, my bits don't fit inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Um, so, so, oh, so were you going to ask something? There? I got the first three questions. First for three you. questions. All right. Go yeah. ahead, John. Go ahead. Supercharger, turbocharger. What's your favorite booze? And what's your favorite meat to barbecue? So first of all, turbocharger. Okay. That it, it's just a comfort, 
yeah. conversation, a conservation of energy for me personally. Okay. Um, my favorite booze, I'm a big bourbon fan. But oh, secret- yes. <laughs> I'm a bourbon guy. John's not so much, but I'm, I'm a rum guy. I, I'm a bourbon so. guy. Yes, yes. All right, great. I like bourbon. I know I liked you for a reason, Andy. <laughs> well, no offense to you, but if you had not been so quick to gloat, you would have heard that I am also a bit of a closet rum fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, oh, this is going to be a but great I, episode. You know I've been good. Wait, like three episodes, John shows up with a bottle of Kraken, which I mean is good. It's, it's okay, yeah. rum. It's nothing high end or anything like that. But he says, "Hey," he <laughs> says to me, "Hey, you want a you want a rum and coke, Keith?" And I'm like, "Yeah, whatever, sounds good." <laughs> and he he opens a bottle of this thing and he pours. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> a third of the bottle into a glass, big glass, dumps a little bit of coke on the top and hands it to me. Yeah, that podcast got interesting about hey, twenty you minutes. Complaining in. that was a good drink. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. It's so funny. I have a bottle of Kraken here at the house right <laughs> yes. now. But, I love um, it. I'm unfortunately night, I out of my, I bought my wife a bottle of 12-year-aged uh, rye whiskey from Bullet. Ooh, and oh, I got to nice. admit, not bad. I'm not a huge rye fan, but it was not bad. I'm not normally much for rye either, but on occasion it's good. Can you fellas see my microphone, by the way? Uh, I don't know. On, yeah, and, on off. and off a little bit. Is your microphone okay. got something cool on it or something? Yeah, yeah, it does. This is my full-blown Merca mic. It's nice. a, a MXL 900, or excuse me, 990 Patriot. Nice. And I just, Very nice. I'm using this to let people know, like, this is where I stand, you know. I want oh, the yeah. I want the meat. I want the whiskey. I want a good <laughs> cigar, preferably grown in North Carolina, you know. Hmm. That's just, that's where I'm at. I'm not much for smoking. I know Keith indulges from time to time. From but. time to time, I used to keep a humidor here with 5,000 cigars I remember. In it. I remember. Yeah. I mean, yes, I'm a big cigar guy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've so, never smoked a day in my life. Yeah, we need to get you to start, man. One day, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you didn't answer. So we had the third question, though, yep. that John gave you. Uh, what's your favorite meat oh. to barbecue? Uh, ribs, for Ooh, sure. Oh, yeah. Good man. St. Louis, St. Louis ribs is nice. where it's at. Although chicken wings will always have a special place in my heart. When you're doing yes. chicken wings over an open fire, oh. there's there's just something magical about it. I've not eaten today. I'm going to start drooling, so let's move on. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, agree, e- even, that, even that's a match made in heaven, as John knows. Um, oh, yeah. My mom owns uh, a, it's a Thumb of Michigan famous restaurant here called Foxfire Fixins. Uh, it is a redneck southern barbecue. They call it redneck fusion is what they call it there. Um, they've got gourmet food and then they've got barbecue. All their meats are done on a smoker out front. Um, their ribs, the meat's about an inch and a half thick on. Uh, it, it's just, it's an amazing place to go and eat. Um, and, uh, you know, that was actually the brainchild of my, my late father who passed away last year, but, um, he was a butcher for over 20 years. And so he was completely anal about the quality of the meat that came into that restaurant. And that's really what my mom and my brother who now run the restaurant, um, they are too. So people have been known, uh, just the other day, uh, we're still shut down here. I don't know if you are in Oregon. Uh, we're only allowed to do takeout. Um, I'm over at the restaurant and this truck pulls in. And the guy had driven from over two and a half hours away just wow. to pick up some ribs for takeout. And wow. so that was really cool to, to hear, you know. So, yeah, they're they're known for their ribs. They've got, like, the best ribs I mean, around. I, I drove an hour for a burger once. Well, oh, so there, you beer. Go. there you go. <laughs> but, uh, hey, uh, Andy, tell us, tell us about Boost Booze and Barbecue. You're our guest, so we need to, we need to hear a little bit about you. What... Uh, 
what's your podcast all about? Uh, why should our listeners, uh, you know, check in and, and check out, you know, our listeners probably would love what you do. So I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, there you go. Don't start listening to it on the show, I'm though. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm just going to look it up. Tell us, uh, <laughs> tell us why they should listen to you. Uh, we, we, we hope they do. So, uh, you know, plug your show. I'll tell you what, man, we, we really do, uh, everything or excuse me, all of the finest things in life, if you know what I mean. So off air, you know, I was telling you if anybody ever goes to a big race event and it could even be NASCAR, when you're walking through the pits, the one thing you'll notice while the cars are going around or, or after races are done and I'm talking about, okay, let's put this scenario in there. A car gets wrecked out early on the race. Now they're just going to pack up and head home. There is a barbecue fired up. And the team is outside drinking beers and standing around it. So boost, booze, and barbecue all it. go hand in hand, one in the same, whether you're on the wheeling trails, whether you're on the racetrack, drag racing, NASCAR, it does not matter. Those three things are ubiquitous to pretty much everything automotive. Even my buddies that don't know how to cook, they all have grills. <laughs> Well, you know, you're right. I mean, that's uh, it is. I've spent my life around racetracks. I haven't done as probably as much as you have, but uh, you know, you're right. I, I've seen that before. And what yeah. a, what a great marriage of things. I mean, that's a great. You know, I love the idea for your podcast. That's really cool. I'm gonna have to listen to it more. I'm gonna really have to. Like I said, I, I was able to catch about 20 minutes while I was wolfing down a sandwich at lunch today, <laughs> and I was like, man, these guys are right on point. Um, you know, love your banter back and forth. You got a co-host, right? I do. I do. My cousin Coy, he's the funniest person in the world because he, uh, he's got like 145 IQ. So he's a certifiable genius, but he works as a, an underground, uh, driller. What are the horizontal drills called? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Cross drilling or boring. Yeah. Directional yeah. boring, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he does that, but he basically just turns off and is able to do his job 110 percent huh. and so he'll just sit there and, and just think right and so he'll come in and i'll be like all right go you ready for the show and he'll just be like yep been thinking about it all day and i mean he's just like breaking it down no nice. notes in front of him a b c d these are the things i think and he's just fast nice. you know on it and so it makes for a really really good show um i feel like my talent really is being able to talk to people especially when i interview them and and be able to, you know, bring the conversation around and, and stay on point and stuff like that. And really, I feel like some days all I'm doing is hurting him, and he's kind of the face of the show. <laughs> I understand but, uh, that. That's kind of the way we are. Keith's a little more on point <laughs> a lot of time. The knowledge this guy's got stuck up in that ugly head of his is uh, <laughs> tremendous. Wait a minute. I thought I, was, I thought I was the beauty of the show. No. No. That, oh, that's man. when we turn the screen off, and it's done. <laughs> oh okay all right it's uh, like the Disney movie it's beauty and or the beast yeah there you go there <laughs> yeah. you go uh john john here he has a, a a big background in uh um all sorts of video production country music films um he's been on audio stuff audio yeah. he's been on tv we've actually been on tv together as yes. extras and tv shows before um, nothing real big, but we've had some fun doing that. Mm. And, uh, you know, John and I have known each other. We were both in the diving world for, uh, a number of years. I actually met him while I was going through my initial scuba certification, yep. 
uh, well, 15 even... years ago almost now. Oh, my God, it was. Oh, scuba. Scuba, I'm sorry, you yeah. guys. I thought you were talking about dumpster diving. I was with you. Oh, no, I do that, too. <laughs> I do that, too. That's John does that all the time. You wouldn't believe all the good crap you can find, man. And, and then, you know, the funny thing is, is our, as our careers in the dive world went two different ways, John became, no. like, this crazy technical diver that does, like, these two, 300-foot dives on these ancient shipwrecks and stuff like that. Not ancient, And, and then for seven years of my life, I became a commercial diver, so I did, like, the dredging, the underwater welding, all that crap. And... Uh, so, uh, you know, we just kind of circled back around, but now I'm out of the diving industry because of a heart condition, but we, uh, we still do this. We had this yeah. love of off-road stuff and, and Jeeps and, uh, you know, old Toyota Land Cruisers and just, and we founded this museum a couple of years ago that we talk about on the show all the time. So yeah, that it, is it, almost two years ago, isn't it now? Yeah. yeah. Museum, or at least since we started well, planning. We, we founded the museum almost three years ago and then we opened wow. to the public almost two years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's been a crazy time. Um, so hang on you guys one piece that i've left out while we've been talking about all this stuff is that my daily driver is actually a, a 2017 uh, ford f-150 ecoboost fx4 oh very nice, nice. very nice love so, it what did you do to it i haven't well <laughs> i'm about to say i haven't done anything to it but that's not exactly true okay i had three thousand miles on it when i ran out and then bought a uh, manual boost controller for it nice so uh boost controller and a tune uh it's running Oh, it uh, tops out at about 21 pounds of boost and then settles oh. into about 18 pounds of boost. So, Very you know, nice. I'm a little bit more of a streetcar guy. M my cousin, I, I wish Koi was here because he is a super off-roader. Like, this, mm. he's, he's big in the overlanding nice. uh, arena here in the Pacific Northwest. And he's been trying to get me into the off-road stuff. And, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm getting there. It's not that I'm opposed to it or anything. It's just, you know, finding the time. And I really wanted to get my truck scraped up or anything like that uh yeah. the ironic part is i will gladly launch the thing on the pavement in four-wheel drive <laughs> that's gotta <laughs> well, be cool to see all right that. all right well we can talk cars though too because you know i'm a gearhead as i told you prior to the show john is too um so uh first uh, first question off of the bat i guess uh um manual or automatic Choose wise. Manual. Let's not be ridiculous. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. True, true car guy. We can all continue right. the show then. Well, you know, you get those guys that are like an automatic can help perform and manual. Like, oh my God. You know, I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> so, so manual. All right. Cool. Um, and uh, front wheel drive or rear wheel drive? Hmm. Well, uh, I mean, come on. It, they have, they both, listen, they both have their merits. Okay. Uh, sure. I have they do. A lot of fun racing front wheel drive cars. I have a lot of fun racing rear-wheel drive cars. Right now, I'm part of a show called Clutch Kick Radio. It's all about drifting in the Pacific Northwest. Hmm. So, I mean, I'm not opposed to rear-wheel drive, not in the slightest. Yeah. Now, however, I have had a number of front-wheel drive cars because, uh, like I said, I was into track racing and autocross, but it's just a little bit easier to pick up stuff like that. And, you know, the simple fact is I'm kind of a dummy, and <laughs> I found this love for, like, late 80s early 90s mazdas i have no idea why it's literally the worst car to start so don't just don't okay don't do it anybody listening right now that's 17 years old and like hmm what kind of car should i get don't do an, a 1989 mazda 323 it's not <laughs> worth your time yeah well uh, no, i mean they always say they're not worth your time but i mean john's been tinkering with a 1987 jeep xj cherokee that's rotted in half for the last you. like you know 15 years 10. so you know <laughs> nah, this, this july makes 11 
<laughs> he just so, said yeah. it. it's not worth your time, man. No, I. No, I, I've done it all on a budget. I've overall, I've probably got less than probably less than two grand into the whole thing. Yeah, and I've got almost everything to complete it. So, so uh, yeah. fun fact for you: I had a neighbor when I was a teenager that had uh, an XJ. And nice. he took the doors off because he said, I want to be like every other Jeep. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Not really what happened. But when he brought it home one day, his uh, B pillars yep. and, and the C pillars in the back had kind of yep. it half twisted and half folded. Yep. And uh, I was like, what happened? And he said, oh, man, I was just, I did some awesome thing mm. and everything just, you know, but it was awesome. Yeah. And. I looked over at a buddy of mine. He's like, no, he just was driving like this, and it tacoed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, mine, uh, the rocker panels on both sides are 2 by 6 316 wall steel tubing. So that'll support most of what I can throw at it. And I haven't done any of the, the uniframe stiffeners or anything yet. I'll eventually probably do that. But it's got an old Skyjacker subframe front kit, so that... That'll outlast everything else on the thing. That is so stout and beefy. It's it's insane. Heck yeah. And it's a solid, I mean, it is a solid build. For what it is, what I've got into it, it's, I mean, I'm not to toot my own horn, but it's impressive just looking at the grand scheme of it. Like any car build, though, you're not going to get your money back out of oh, it. Oh, God, no. You know? <laughs> I, gave, I gave that idea up a long time ago. <laughs> is it a four liter? Yes. Yep. Inline six. So it's got the old Renex four liter. Yeah. So you're good to go. I mean, oh, that yeah. thing is going to go a zillion miles. It's never going to oh, have a yeah. problem. It's got 228k on the clock now, and I, I did the HO head swap on it so I could use later intake manifold, you know, exhaust and everything. I did everything you could do to a stock engine using stock parts. And when I took that head off, there were still factory crosshatch marks on all the cylinder walls. I mean, it was beautiful. Wow. So, yeah. I'm, you know, the weird thing is about those motors is when you put a turbo on them, mm-hmm. they sound so much like every other straight six. I'm not yeah. going to say that they sound <laughs> like a Supra, but they, they definitely turn heads. You kind of turn a head and you're like, yeah. holy cow, that thing sounds like it's ripping. What is oh, that? Yeah. And then this XJ goes past you at 30 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's um, a guy. So, the, the AutoZone I used to work at, there's a guy there right now. I believe Nick's his first name. Uh, he just turboed his 4 0. And he, he had to get a computer for it, because his is a computer still. But he, he showed me a video of him just revving it up, parked, and, oh, my God, that sounds good. Oh, geez. It sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well since we're kind of talking engines, um, you know, Andy, you got an interest in getting into our kind of our technical section that we, we do here in the middle of the show? Yeah, dude, absolutely, yes. I want to ask you one more question, then, um, before we go to break real quick. <laughs> Carburetor or fuel injection? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I don't have for an me, for fuel injection. I, I prefer fuel injection. I uh, I actually do a little bit of tuning on the side. I mean, not really anymore, but um, I've tuned a bunch of different friends' cars. I, I was pretty good at street tuning people's rigs. Nice. You know, if they had some kind of a standalone EMS or something. I myself have a lot of experience with Haltech EMSs. Um, so I'm partial to fuel injection. Now, having said that, I'm not going to turn a carburetor away. I'm not going to know quite 
as well how to tune it for you, but uh, a fast car is a fast car, and that's just yeah. the, the way it is. That's true, and, and I'm glad that you, you answered that way. That's an awesome answer. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then um, we're going to talk a little bit about fuel injection, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to tell you why. So uh, let's do that, and we'll be back in just a second. Sounds good. We'll see you guys in a minute. Hey, it sounds like it's time to swap out that old engine for something better, John. Yeah, man, but I have so much into my trans and transfer case set up already. I don't want to change those two. Sounds like you need to call Quick Draw Brand Adapters. They specialize in conversion bell housings for nearly all diesel and gasoline engines, including the new 2.8R Cummins. You know, I like weird engines, though. I want something different. Then you definitely need to visit quickdrawbrand.com today. They have those hard-to-find parts, they also have used diesel engines available. You can call them at 513-446-9654. Cool, I'll do that. See what they have. Thanks. All right, so we're back with Andy Emhoff. Uh, what are you drinking? You said you had to go grab something uh, from the fridge or something. What do you got going on? Well, yeah, because I finished my beer, and I thought <laughs> that you might find this pretty interesting, Keith. Uh, you said you like bourbon, right? Absolutely. This is a bourbon style and a bourbon barrel aged apple brandy made very close Ooh. to me. Now that yeah. sounds good. I've done yeah. a lot of the bourbon barrel ales like the beers, but I've never done an apple brandy. That's interesting. That uh, who makes good. it? Spiritopia. And hmm. by the way, uh, this fella is a Michigander. He has Excellent. a very interesting story. He's actually a biochemical engineer who lost some funding for his project that he was working on. And so now he had these patents for converting, well, converting plant carbohydrates that are not necessarily uh, fermentable into a fermentable sugar. Dude. And uh, so he started this distillery. And uh, I'll tell you what, he makes some of the finest uh, boozes I've ever had. It just goes to show that education, it can pay off. Is he based out there or here? No, he's based out here. He oh, has a place in Corvallis, Oregon. <laughs> hmm. That's interesting. It's very interesting. We'll have to I'll find have out to if he's available. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, talk to him sometime. He's He's got an amazing story. Mm. It, it's long story short. He was the dude that came up with the enzyme that would be able to convert, like, straw into uh, uh, convertible sugar so you could make hmm. ethanol, bioethanol. Okay. I'm familiar yeah. with the... It's an enzyme from fish. I don't nice. know. I won't get like way into it because we'll get super off topic, but he's an incredible dude. You have to reach out to him sometime because yeah. he's got an incredible story. I'm a home brewer, so that, that really interests me just to know more about that process. Mm, yeah. Oh, John, would you add me on social media, please? Because I'm going to yeah. brew this summer. Excellent. Excellent. I'll, uh, I'll take care of that after the show, but... We can get back on topic. Yeah, <laughs> we did speak at a topic. We said we were going to talk about fuel injection. Now, um, we do, Andy, we do a lot of playing on numbers. I don't know why we do this. It's probably just a, a I don't know, a amateur Nervous. thing that we do. What's that? Nervous tech. Nervous yeah. tech? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we uh, maybe it's a little bit of the OCD, but in me at least because i'm like you said i've got this encyclopedic knowledge of certain parts of automotive history not always uh uh for every single subject but ones that i feel passionate about uh this one's i'm not super passionate about but i do tend to know a few things uh do you know uh this is our episode number 57 do you know what the number 57 has to do with fuel injection in the automotive world 
Ooh, the number 57 and fuel injection. Ah, uh, I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> okay, uh, I thought maybe you would. I wasn't sure. A lot of people don't. Um, but wow, okay. I guess I'm just a dummy. No, no, no. no I said I a lot of people either. don't. A lot of people don't. No, uh, <laughs> John, you don't know? Well, I didn't know, but we kind of discussed this last week. <laughs> I know now. Yeah, well, my crack and soak <laughs> mind didn't probably. Uh... We were crack and soaked for three weeks. <laughs> oh, okay. Two weeks, whatever. Uh, 1957 was the first time you could get a fuel injected vehicle in the United States and really the world as a whole in a mass produced sense. Um, General, oh, yeah. Mo- General Motors came out with the Rochester fuel injection, which was an option on the Chevrolet line of cars, all of the cars, as well as the Corvette. And mm-hmm. uh, so that was, it was a mechanical fuel injection. It wasn't the first production car with fuel injection. Uh, technically, uh, anything with a diesel prior to that would have been, they were using them all the way back to the 20s because uh, that's where fuel injection started. But uh, for gasoline engines, the first mass-produced production car was the uh, 1955 Mercedes. uh, I think it was like a 300 SL, something like that. I might be wrong. I don't know a ton about the Mercedes line, but I know it was the 55 Mercedes. Hmm. Uh, But uh, Chevrolet mass-produced in 1957 the Rochester fuel injection. And what a lot of people don't know, a lot of people are familiar with the Rochester fuel injection, but a lot of people don't know that you could also get Rochester fuel injection in 57 on the Oldsmobiles and on the Pontiacs as well. Mm-hmm. Had you ever seen one of those, Andy, before? You know, I I haven't, um, but uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, I'm pretty sure AMC had, had a version. Wasn't it the same manufacturer that they used? You know, you could be correct on there, but I thought that Bendix was actually the manufacturer for AMC's, and AMC's used some electronic uh, sensors on them. Where oh, yes, uh, you're um, right. Chevrolet yeah, electro- or GM's was all um, mechanical and vacuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Bendix one was called the uh, electro electrojector i always want to say a jack <laughs> there you go all right there. yeah that uh um you uh i think you're right there and on the amc and then also uh chrysler in late 57 for the 58 model year uh put fuel injection on their 392 hemi and they only made about 300 of them and they proved to be finicky and i don't remember what their system was called and they ended up taking and recalling them and refitting them with carburetors. And there's only like four or five oh, wow. uh, original fuel-injected 58 Hemi uh, fuel-injected engines out there that are still in existence. So, I was just going to ask how many survived that. But... Just a couple. Just <laughs> a couple. So 57 was really when the world, you know, fuel injection started to get into people's minds. It was a World War II thing with the airplanes. A lot of the World War II airplanes, mostly the Japanese with the Mitsubishi bombers and a few of their other products. We also had the BMW radial engines during World War II out of uh, Germany. They used fuel injection. So there was a number of different uh, technologies there. But like I said, 57 was when you could get it for the first time publicly. And then, interestingly enough, General Motors essentially abandoned the program in 62. Uh, they ran it up to 62, and then they went back 
to their uh, their big block engine program when they started introducing uh, you know they had the W heads and then in '65 the big block Chevy. They just go back to carburetors or did they went use someone carb- else's fuel? Went injection? back to carburetors, huh? Yeah, now weird. I know you're talking about production fuel injection, but I'm fairly certain the Hillborn uh, mechanical fuel injection system was earlier than that. Was that not a factory option on the Corvettes, or did that come later on? Uh, I believe it was a later on if it was a factory option, but you are correct. Hillborn uh, was right after World War II. Uh, I, was that Craig Hillborn? I, I, I forget right now that off the top of my right head. For some reason. I could be wrong on that, but um, Hillborn fuel injection was another mechanical fuel injection. It was kind of a modular system that he built that you could go single Hillborn injectors per cylinder, and it was kind of a neat setup. And they still make them today. They reproduce them. But the Hillborn injection does predate for an aftermarket and racing application fuel injection. Hmm. And so that was all the way back in like 46, 47, right in there when they were starting to mess with those on flathead Fords and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, big Cadillac engines and things like that. You know, this is, what, seven years before the small block Chevy even came out. So they were messing around on uh, earlier V8s at that time. So fuel injection, basically World War II, boom, fuel injection was in people's minds. And uh, the next couple Took of years... a little bit to trickle out to the consumer market. Yeah, exactly. As most military technologies do. <laughs> exactly. And then, um, you know, of course, by the 70s, uh, late 70s, early 80s, some manufacturers started playing around with throttle body fuel injection again. They brought fuel injection back. And So, sorry, can, I, can I interrupt you, Keith? Yeah, sure, sure. What do you think about throttle body injection? Because I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> I have seen some guys recently. It, listen, it's it's not particularly efficient. We all know that. Yeah, but I've is. seen some guys recently who have been setting up like a mega squirt system, an MS3, you know, on a throttle body injection, and they'll re- they'll replace the two injectors with with just massive, you know, monster injectors. I don't know, a hundred and hundred and sixty or hundred and seventy pound or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's two hundred and ten pound. And I'm I'm noticing that they're starting to kind of come back around as a very simplistic solution, especially as you start seeing people getting the older LT ones out of the, you know, late late eighties, early nineties rigs. Um, people are starting to work on those a little bit more, it seems like, or maybe they've always had a following and I'm just starting to understand it now. I'm sure your listeners are going to have a lot to say about me saying that, (laughs) but I have noticed that the TBIs are coming back around and it makes me kind of wonder if we're going to start seeing like some junkyard hybrids where guys are getting fuel injection, multi-port injection intake manifolds, and then also a TBI throttle body Hmm. and then using those for forced induction applications because now you Hmm. have that extra flexibility of the fuel. Uh, Yes, actually they are. In the off-road world, it's been very popular for the last about 20 years uh, to take, not 20, maybe 10, 15 years, to take a junkyard, mostly GM TBI setup. The old Ford TBI setups tended to be uh, finicky, as did the early Chrysler ones. But the GM TBI systems uh, were pretty bulletproof, and they're... You know, people figured out real quick that you could grab a computer and a harness and a fuel pump from a junkyard car, and you could put it on, say, your 258 Jeeps straight six, or you could put it on your old Toyota Land Cruiser, and you could get put a budget fuel injection system. Now, in the off-road world, it wasn't necessarily for a power gain, but it was so you could run the engine on severe angles without it stalling out. 
And that that became a big thing. In fact, have you ever heard of Howell Engine Development, Andy? I have, yeah. Well, they are literally three blocks from here. Uh, they're nice. they're right around the corner from uh, our studio here. Uh, I've run a couple of their harnesses now. I've been into their shop a number of times. Uh, I've run their harnesses on swapped engines and things like that. Uh, Bill Howell, the, the the founder of Howell Engine Development, actually uh, donated an engine to us uh, prior to being wheeling years ago to tinker with uh, an old uh, Oldsmobile Aurora engine. We we played with, with some projects and things like that, but um, we got a pretty good working relationship with those folks over there, and uh, they're right around the corner, and they're the ones that kind of pioneered that junkyard TBI setup. They started selling uh, a plug-and-play harness, and you could get the other parts from a junkyard and put the thing together and you know for less than maybe 800 bucks you had fuel injection Ooh. on an antique vehicle or an older you know carbureted vehicle does that work on a chevy v6 maybe? yeah chevy v6s came with uh fuel injection from the factory well not this one this one's much much older buick v6 buick yeah yeah you're thinking jeepster maybe maybe yeah you just put a 4.3 tbi setup on it no no I'm, i gotta keep the block um, <laughs> is that 2.8 pardon 2.8 well, it's the Dauntless V6. I don't, I don't know the leaders. Yeah, three point yeah. eight. Okay. Yeah. Here, can you guys hang on for just a second? I'm gonna. I gotta move the mic away from me. Yes. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> All right. Sorry. You're making fun that. of me, man. It's not cool. <laughs> I know I'm clearing my throat a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think you're making fun of Mr. Johnny Orange here. That's fine. I don't care. I'm gonna sip my water. Yeah. Whatever. But uh, anyways. Uh, so you know, you know, we're talking about we're not getting super technical into the uh, into the injection systems, but you know, they eventually went to more of the computerized stuff. They had the multi-port, the sequential port fuel injection, a lot of different things. One of the things t- talking about the junkyard swaps, Andy, that I saw, and I remember thinking about this in high school. I remember thinking of the mechanical of it. Like, why couldn't you take two small TBI setups and put them on like a tunnel ram setup and do a dual TBI setup and just hmm. wire them? The injectors up, you know, send enough fuel to the injectors, but then wire them in parallel and fire it and have twice as much airflow and twice as much fuel. And I always thought I was insane. I asked a few people about that that were kind of into that type of uh, world, and they said, no, it wouldn't work. And now I think I've seen that on four or five rat rod builds <laughs> that people have done, and it apparently works quite well. So, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Could have patented your idea back then. Yeah, man. patent my idea of putting <laughs> junkyard stuff together. But well, you build one, and then I don't know what you, know, you do well, there. What that reminds me of is you know the direct injection cars these days, and and again going back to Mazdas, I'm thinking about the Mazda direct injection motors, the uh, like the Mazda Speed Three, right, or the Mazda Speed Six. Absolutely. Those are, those are known for having a ton of carbon buildup on the intake valves because you don't have that fuel washing over them, right? Uh, yeah. And so there's actually a problem with the direct injection motors is you end up with a lot of soot and carbon buildup on the valves because they're not being washed clean by the fuel coming across them. Hmm. And a lot of the Mazda Speed guys there for a while, especially because it's not a it's not a traditional injection well it i guess it is a traditional it's a mechanical in- injection because they need to run thousands of psi to do the direct injection but they've started adding they used to call it fifth port and i'd make fun of them by calling it 12th port because i felt like everybody was just adding more and more injectors right mm. but uh some of those guys they're adding a fifth or a sixth injector in the intake runner just simply because you need something to wash those valves down and uh, it's kind of fascinating to me how 
you look at that and you go, oh, well, that's an older technology. Why would someone want to add a fuel injector, a traditional style fuel injector in the system? And it's because there are certain benefits that come with running that style. Oh, yeah. So what you're saying is that maybe they had things figured out with carburetors for 100 years? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not going to get all conspiracy theory on you guys, but <laughs> I have heard time and time again that there are carbs out there that will run 120 miles of the gallon. You know, we've heard those as hmm. well. John and I have fun sometimes with conspiracy theories and things like that. Oh, I yeah. mean, we've talked, believe it or not, we're an off-road show, but we have talked about ghosts and aliens, and uh, yep. we have talked <laughs> about government conspiracies. We have, oh, uh, oh, we've gotten on and we've complained about our governor here, you know, <laughs> yep. so all sorts of things. A little bit of everything. Keith, I'm so sorry. Have you been probed? No, but I have, I have had a close encounter of the second kind. The second kind. The second kind. That's when they make you a ham sandwich, right? I wish. That would be awesome. No, that's when you see the UFO, but you don't see little green men. Uh, yeah. Hey, yeah. 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 So, uh, so I, I actually told it on the show a while ago about how I saw one up very up close. Um, to me, it seemed very man-made. It did not seem like it was something made by aliens. I think it was. I think I saw some sort of government ship vessel thing <laughs> that we have not yet been made aware of, and, and you know that's not so far out there because it's called a blimp. It's not a blimp, <laughs> anyway. Balloon. There was swamp gas. It was reflecting off of the light from the full moon. <laughs> off yeah. the balloon. Sure. And, uh, no, you know what? I actually have had one of those encounters too. Hmm. Um, it was late one night, and I was I was looking up at the sky, and I mean, this thing was moving across, and it didn't look, it did not look natural to me at all, and it was very low, and I just thought, wow, oh my gosh, I think that's a UFO, <laughs> and then as it went past me, it went, <laughs> I, I was drunk. Yeah, did you say you're drunk? Well, yeah, I mean, it's in that moment where you're like, oh. Well, oh, I guess I'm done for the night. I had that at my buddy's house not long ago. You see this big line of dots come in, and then they hold, and then they all went away, and it did it three or four times. That was Elon Musk messing yeah, with I you. Yeah, know. I know. I, but my buddy and I were sitting out there, you know, half a case deep, and we look up and see that, like, what the... And then it took me a minute, like, a couple days before that, the Andrew, Keith, and myself were talking about that. Apparently it happened the night before, and everybody's posting all, oh, the aliens are coming to get us all over Facebook in that my local area. I missed it that night, but I saw it the following. And, yeah, that, that was trippy, man. <laughs> that was weird. Oh, yeah. Like, I, you know what? I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. I don't know about <laughs> you. I'm okay with it. I got to tell you, Andy, you've been, like, our most fun guest, I think, so far. We've had... We've had some very serious guests that have talked about some very interesting history and this and that. We've got one of our sponsors that sometimes comes on, mm -hmm. and, and he usually has a couple jabs at us. But uh, Reminds me, I finally got my shirt from him. Did he really? <laughs> I did, yeah. I, I, did he have to go to the old tent maker or what? No, nah, no, I just got the other size in stock. So oh, okay, I'm working right. in to be able to fit it. Oh, okay, but. all right. So... Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, no, you're you're a lot of fun. This is we've oh, yeah. enjoyed having you on the show. So you're here. talking about uh, robot overlords. Oh my um, god, John, John. Oh. Well, no, no, I, I got. I want to probe your mind with a couple questions when we come back from the break here on uh, a title that I saw in one of your episodes. So how about we take a quick break and we'll come back with that? And we'll be right back with the ADD podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Puppies are cute. <laughs> 
Spiders are not. Spiders are creepy and ugly, but what will you do? You will call ABC Home and Commercial Services. The Spider Fighters can service your home for these unwelcome guests. ABC Spider Fighters will provide the solution for your spiders, wasps, box elder bugs, Asian lady beetles, cluster flies, and all your visiting insects. Call now for a prepaid discount. ABC Home and Commercial, the Spider Fighters. 810-794-5678. We're back oh, on gotta... air. We're, we're, we've redirected ourselves. We've kind of <laughs> focused back. We want to talk about some fuel injection stuff. Andy, you said you had a question for us, or, or maybe you had a question for John. I'm not really sure. You said you had a question somehow. Oh, well, it's actually kind of for both of you guys. So okay. going, going back to mechanical fuel injection and actually electronic fuel injection as well, you know, you have different systems where it can be a return system or it can not be right like a, like a, a lot of uh, yeah. right a lot of dragsters run a returnless system they just run on 12 pounds of uh, fuel pressure hmm. you know uh, things like that where do you guys land as far as just the person in their hmm. garage trying to modify their own vehicle which do you think would work better for them i would think the return system's a little more forgiving at least easier to bleed out you know, I I tend to probably agree with John there only on the idea that a my my limited experience with a returnless system only in a stock application, mind you, is that fuel pump life seems to be shortened, that the fuel pumps do seem to have to work a little bit harder. Uh, I think in my mind I could just be crazy on that, but No, you're right. I, I do tend to like a system that's got a return. Uh, what are you thinking? Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you guys. I know it kind of goes back and forth. I mean, a lot of people say, especially if you're putting fuel injection on a system that didn't already have fuel injection, mm. you know, plumbing the return lines and stuff, it's a huge pain. But mm. realistically, <laughs> it gives you so much more flexibility at the end. I mean, unless you want to run just one fuel pressure all of the time, and when you run out your limitations you're kind of done you know uh i'm 100 percent with you i think that uh return style systems give you so much more flexibility and you're 100 percent right too about the the pump life uh an electronic pump that's running a constant pressure all of the time even when there isn't a need that thing is going to wear out and that's actually why a lot of those inline electric pumps that run off of mechanical pumps on you know your older systems right um I'm I'm not crazy. Back me up here, fellas. When you have a mechanical fuel pump and then you put an inline uh, electric pump to help it get over to the mechanical pump for whatever reason. I mean, <laughs> those have a specific lifespan. I remember from selling auto parts, you know, I had a lot of people come in and try to do warranty replacements on those. Hmm. That's the exact system I have on my 1984 Toyota Land Cruiser. I have an electric <laughs> pump. Back. Whoops. Well, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's not. What I mean, I I had my my mechanical fuel pump go out on a wheeling trip in northern Michigan, probably six years ago. Uh, I went into the local Napa, the local AutoZone, the local CarQuest. They all told me, uh, "Good luck. It's going to be like two weeks to get a Toyota Land Cruiser fuel pump in northern Michigan." And I said, "Well, I I I literally need to finish this wheeling trip." Now, mind you, I had a trailer with me, but I said I want to continue to wheel, so I said. Give me one of your universal, cheapest 12-volt electric fuel pumps. Came back, threw that thing um, 
originally I put it up near the engine. That didn't work. I, it was it was suffering for getting enough fuel pressure. Mm. So I took it back out, put it back by the fuel pump, or by, by the fuel tank, I'm sorry, I said fuel pump, by the fuel tank, ran some wires back there. I never took it out. It's still <laughs> running. I have it on a keyed hot, and I know that it's a ticking time bomb that eventually that thing's just going to go bad, but it fires up like a fuel-injected vehicle. Now, I got one of those Weber carburetors that'll run on its side. Nice. And, you know, just fire that thing up. And it, But like you said, it's a returnless system. So No, I take that back. I'm not. I am not a returnless system. I do have a return even on a carburetor on that uh, on that Toyota Land Cruiser. So maybe that's why that thing, what do you think, Andy? Is that why that thing survived all these years? 1,000%, yes. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So um, uh, yeah, that could be it. It should not have that kind of life expectancy. I would have expected you to, I don't know, get a year out of it, maybe. But, uh, yeah, if you have a return system from your carb, that's, uh, yeah, that's the saving grace for that thing. And I'll tell you what, a return system on a carb, oh, pardon me, I need to lubricate my uh, my mic stand here again. <laughs> that's all right. No worries. Uh, but a, a return system on a carburetor, Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, again, it goes back to I think that makes everything easier to work on. But I'll tell you what, I never really got too much into carburetors. Um, maybe it's just because you know I wasn't I wasn't some V8 purist when I was younger. Uh, I have got this irrational love of these garbage can econo boxes. That's one of the things that really kind of led me to build like my monster protege. I liked the way that it handled. So, okay, story time real quick, you guys. I apologize for getting way off base here. No, it's all right. We love good story. Oh, yeah. I had traded my my, um, 1.8 liter double overhead cam motor swapped Ford Festiva with a big turbo on it. I traded that for a uh, Nissan 240SX, an S13. Really good condition, too. Nice car. And this was back before the 240s really had gained that much popularity. I was driving it. It was fine. It was slammed on some trash coilovers. Um, I, I found a guy that would swap those out for me for just the stalkers. And then ironically, he called me like a week later and he's like, um, I'm pretty sure these are blown. And I called him back and I said, um, I'm pretty sure they were blown on the way from China to here. <laughs> and he just, he texted me back and he's like, yep, fair enough. And that was the last I heard of him. Um, it also had a welded diff. I swapped the diff out. So stock suspension, stock diff. It was a real nice driving little car. Uh, I ended up just giving it to my wife because I found a Monster Protégé, a 1990 Monster Protégé, and I just I liked the way it felt. I can't really explain it, but I was in Portland one day. Traffic was light. I was rowing through the gears of this 70 horsepower little crap box, you know, and, uh, I come up to this corner and I set myself up just right. And I give it a little bit of a Scandinavian flick and it just wants to slide all the way through the corner. And I'm modulating the slide with the brake and it's a front wheel drive car, nice. you know? And so it's not like it's some um, thing. It just, but it just kind of had that, that movement, right? Something matched with me. And when I got home that night, I just told my wife, honey, you're going to keep the 240. I'm not interested <laughs> in building it up anymore. I'm going to get this thing. And nice. I ended up finding a guy who had a Mazda 323 GTR. He had the all-wheel drive system and everything, and it had just been sitting because it was not road legal here. It wasn't uh, until, as a matter of fact, no, we can't even drive him here because of the 25-year rule. Yeah. never heard. Or maybe that. maybe we can just this year. But it, 
either way, he had this thing that had been sitting for years, and so I pulled the drivetrain out of it. It was a direct swap into this 1990 nice. Protege, so all of a sudden I had all-wheel drive. And nice. then I got the I got the motor built, big turbo. It had a GTX 2876 on it. Like I said before, I got a Haltech system on it. Uh, I did a bunch of things to it, and it was putting about 360 at the tire. All four tires weighed 2,600 pounds. It was a very quick, fun little car, you know. But nice. I guess that's my long way of saying sometimes you just find something that you like and it works for you yeah. and sort of stick with it, you know. And uh, I, I think that a lot of these fuel injection systems, it comes down to what you grew up with. Yeah, I can see that. I, I absolutely can see that. Uh, and, you know, that whole story you told me, and that, that, that is awesome. Um, I love the fact that you're basically driving a one of the kind of illegal Japanese imports that uh, you just kind of made legal, and that's that's I totally cool. I love it. But the biggest, biggest question that I've got there is, like, how did you talk your wife into driving a vehicle on the street with a welded diff? He replaced it. Yeah, I replaced it. Yeah. Oh, I must have missed that part. I'm like, you gave your car, car uh, wife a car with a welded diff. I mean, I've been known to, like, modify my fiance's vehicle, lift it, and put mud tires on it and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know if she could let, she'd let me get away with welding the diffs in that thing. He, he has a permanent residence in the doghouse. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, um, she loved that car. Do you guys want to know? Here, let's do it the joke style. Uh, you asked me, you asked me how much did she love it? And if you can do it in unison, that'd be great. She loved that car. Your cue. How much did, did she, she love? Oh, the, come on, what? man. You said in unison. We got to ask at the same time. Oh, okay. How, Three, two, one. How, how much, much did, did she, she love it? that car? So much that she got three speeding tickets in three months. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. That, I is, love it. that is pretty good. Yeah. It's like my mom. My mom bought a Mercedes at a yard sale. I don't remember what model or anything. This is a 2000-something or many years ago. It's the weirdest joke ever. No, it's not a joke. It's oh. She was driving this thing. It was driving so smooth. She didn't realize until the officer pulled her over and told her she was doing 110 that she was doing 110. <laughs> That's a smooth ride. Oh, yeah. Man, that was a nice car. <laughs> we sold it like a year later. <laughs> well, it was when my wife got a... A letter in the mail that said, if you get one more ticket, your license is suspended. <laughs> she said, mm, we should probably get rid of this thing before I kill somebody. Nice. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, My ex-wife, I, I built a car for once. And, you know, a young man, Fox Body Mustang, <laughs> you know, 410 gears uh, with a uh, Detroit locker in the back. And uh, it was an X-Drag oh. car that I found that had no motor in it. And I was just going to drop a four-banger in it for her. But then, before a, I knew you. <laughs> but then at a garage sale, I found a 65 289 Hypo. Nice. And uh, dropped that in the thing. And uh, oh, yeah, that car was. They fun. don't have to worry about speeding tickets in mine. It, it barely does 70 on the highway sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You're pushing it, huh? Well, I, I swapped an 83 Mercedes uh, turbo diesel into a Wrangler. And uh, it is not a powerful engine. I mean, you were talking boost pressures. I'm lucky. I know I'm. I need to adjust it. I'm below factory spec, but I'm lucky if I hit nine on it. Wow. So yeah, like sixty and below, beautiful. Sixty-five if I got a little bit of downhill or a little bit of tailwind, but I got a headwind. I mean, I'm driving a brick with wheels, so the, it's not aerodynamic. I get a little bit of a headwind. Plus, it's listed lifted with thirty-threes. So 
Man, yeah. all you're telling me is reasons why I need to own this thing. <laughs> yeah, there you go, right? You know. Oh, I, I love it. I, I found a guy that put a, a Cummins Turbo on it off of a 6BT, and it had nothing for low range. And once that thing spooled up, oh, my God. I would oh. probably blow it up. You do realize, <laughs> though, because I was doing the math in my head when he was telling about his Mazda. Mm-hmm. My daily driver and your daily driver, if you put the two together, they still don't have the horsepower no. of what his Mazda did. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I drive a Ford Excursion. So, <laughs> One of my favorite things ever that happened was we had just moved down into this area that I'm in. Um, my, my wife is... Well, so my wife is the busiest chiropractor in Oregon. I'll hmm. just put it that way. She's in Corvallis. And uh, when we first moved down here, she started a, a job at a clinic here in Corvallis. And I was going to school. I got accepted to Oregon State University for their engineering program. And uh, I had the, the protege that I had built up. And <laughs> I was, uh, okay, I don't know if the statute of limitations are on or not. So I'm just going to say, like, there years. is a particular... There's a there's a highway in between Albany and Corvallis that actually runs through Mexico. Oh. And so every day that I drove this highway, I would just get in race after race after race. <laughs> it was hilarious to me. Nice. And it, you know, nobody knew what my car was, but everybody wanted to race. Any anytime I pulled up next to somebody and I, you know, the blow-off valve went off next to him, they were like, "Oh yeah, I'm down." <laughs> so I pull up next to this uh SCI. It's probably uh I don't know, 11, 12, 13 um SCI. And there's this dude wearing a flat billed hat, the big aviator sunglasses. He's got the douchey, thin beard, you know. And so I pull up next to him, rev at him a couple of times and make the sign like, hey, do you want to go? And he just, all he does is the super douchey thing. He nods his head and then downshifts and goes. And I'm like, oh, what a douchebag. And yeah. so the second that he downshifts, I'm already downshifting. And so I'm in third and uh, I just freight train past him and he takes the next exit maybe a week later um i'm in her clinic and suddenly this dude comes out into the front lobby and he's wearing a doctor's jacket and i'm like oh wow okay and i said to him hey man do you remember racing that little um mazda protege slash honda accord slash toyota corolla because they all look the same it's a 1990 yeah and true. he was like he he kind of he looked at me and he grinned and he went, Oh yeah, and then the grin faded and he was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> all right. I do that all the time. One time in Portland I had the same thing happen with this guy with a big turbo VR6 uh Volkswagen GTI. And I met him at a, a car show maybe a week later and he instantly nice. recognized me and he's just like bup, bup, dup, bup, bup, bup. Yes, <laughs> I remember you. Hello. Now go and stand over there, please. Well, I got I got to give you one, and we are running a little low, short on time here. But I got to tell you, my my racing story. You'll just love this, Andy. I hope you do. <laughs> but uh, back uh, in high school, I had that Honda Civic that had a few little mods on it. I had some like two and a half inch exhaust on it. It wasn't the big trash can exhaust, but I had it lowered just a little bit. Uh, I'd made it. I'd actually made a short throw shifter for it. Done a few other little uh, mods to it. 
took it out onto uh, Anchor Bay, which is right off of Lake St. Clair, right exactly where Henry Ford uh, beat the world speed record with his 999 racer back in like 1909, something like that, um, on the ice, frozen ice, middle of the winter. And they, they do racing out there every winter. They do drag racing on the ice, and it's unsanctioned. They do have some sanctioned events, but this was one of the unsanctioned events. And I'm out there, and they're the the way you would do the race there was you would take off from the boat launch uh, that you know was of course frozen over. You took off from the boat launch and you went about two miles down. Hmm. And the first person that went past a popular restaurant that's down there, first person that went past the restaurant won. And it was that's just what we did. So I'm out there all day racing back and forth with the Honda, having a great time, um, beating a lot of people because the little Honda's light and it goes. But, you know, I had a couple guys that went past me. They had studs in their tires and mm. stuff like that. Well, I pull up to the line, and this is this other car pulls up, and here's this guy in a Pontiac Trans Am with a 671 supercharger, dual Holley carburetors, sitting right next to me. Oh. And he is just revving the thing, you know, the blowers back and forth, you know, through the hood. And I mean, this car is just all muscle and he's, you know, he's kind of got that, you know, that look too, like this guy you're talking about, you know, prior to the flat bill hats, he just, you know, he was the, he was the old, uh, varsity jacket wearing guy that probably graduated six years ago, you know, one of those guys and he's revving the, so all right, so there was there was a girl out there that dropped the flag, and we go, and I'm just rowing through the gears of the Honda, and I'm not really paying attention to anything. And, and I get up past the restaurant, and I kind of look back, and the Trans Am had made it about 200 feet, and his big racing slicks that he had on that thing, he is just sliding all over the ice, couldn't get any traction whatsoever. And he's, you know, he even had some, like, you know, real hot girl, you know, uh, sitting shotgun with him, and you know so that she he, rode home with you, right? Uh, I think that she probably <laughs> that's, that's the rule, isn't it? <laughs> I, I probably should have pulled up and been like, "Hey, you know, want to ride with a winner?" Yeah, but, you know, this Honda Civic with that was like half primer black, half baby blue with. Nice. Uh, yeah, so and I just pulled up and I was mostly stocking that thing too, and just you know, nice. this, so I was like, oh yeah, I blew. I used to tell people all the time, I blew away a Trans Am with a blower. <laughs> no way you did, you know. <laughs> well, we're on ice. He was running slicks. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't have a racing story. I got a good, quick, short, short one. All right, short one, and then we got yeah, we got to let Mr. Andy go. But favorite things to ever happen to me in the Jeep, because again, I can't go fast because no balls. I'm not sure you can talk about this on the air. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I got to the bar. Oh, okay. I was going to, you know, enjoy some libations for the evening mm-hmm. and karaoke. And the guy standing outside smoking, you know, I, I, I parked it and he let it cool down a minute before I shut it off. He goes, I don't know what the hell is wrong with your Jeep, but it sounds like crap, man. It sounds like a diesel. I'm like, oh, thank you. He goes, what? <laughs> I says, come over here. Let me show you something. Came over, popped the hood, and he says, dude, that's awesome. Cool. That was my favorite thing. <laughs> Well, Andy, it has been a blast having you on the show. Maybe Absolutely. we should do this again in the future. Uh, I don't know if you still want us to come on, maybe talk to you uh, in a couple of weeks. We had talked about that. Um, we can Are see gonna, how that goes. Is he going to join us for the after show? That's up to him. Okay. Um, I, I sure would love to. I'm Excellent. just throwing that out there. All, All right. I, I still have the uh, mind probing question for you. So. Okay. <laughs> well, let's sign off of this one. Um, John. You've got don't oh, man, I'll I'll shake my hand. Just social distancing. You put your hand up. I'm like social distancing. <laughs> no, you you've got your uh, 
crap you read at the end of every episode. Oh, yeah, that's at home in my notebook with everything else. Do you remember but, half uh, of it? I think I can remember the majority of it, so we're going to wing it. If I miss anything, I'm sorry. First and foremost, so I don't forget, uh, huge thank you to our guest first off. Huge thank you to Mr. Andrew, the producer. Without him, none of this would be possible. And, uh, yeah, so... Um, if you do enjoy the show, have any questions and comments, feel free to get a hold of us on our 4x4 Talk page on Facebook. You find that facebook.com slash groups4x4talk.com, or just Google, uh, search in Facebook, 4x4talk. Come up, a couple quick questions to get you on the page, and you can ask away. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Patreon for the after show. Our guest today is going to join us for that. Lowest $2 a month, you can get access to a bunch of bonus content that we do release. Uh, and then if you're watching us on YouTube, um, make sure you hit like and subscribe so you see future content from us. And I think that's everything. So with that, I'll say thanks for listening and have a good one, everybody.